open our hearts today, Lord, that this isn't going to be a day that we just remember as a good time that we experienced you. It'll be a day that changed the rest of these kids' lives, Lord, that our hearts are open to hearing what you have to say. As that you bless Tara, Lord, that what she speaks is the words that you have told her, Lord, that everything that comes out of her mouth is what you had said, that she speaks only your words, Lord, and I just thank you so much for what you're doing, that you move in this place, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are. Thank you. Amen. We've, um, I can turn that a little bit. How's everyone doing? Yeah. I um, acquired a new bruise today at camp. I've got that one. I won't tell you the story. I don't know why you're excited about my bruises, but thanks, I guess. And um, oops, I, I got a new one on the top of my arm from playing basketball in a pool with these girls who just think it's entirely okay to just obliterate the senior citizen of me in the pool. So I'm going to go home from camp looking like I've been beat up all week, and I have, but it's been fantastic. I've had a great week. I've loved hanging out with you guys, and um, I know that God is doing something in our midst. Like, I I know that he's doing something incredible, because here's what I see when I go around camp. I see conversations happening in the cabins. Girls asking counselors, well, what about this and what does this mean? I I got held up in the bathroom today by someone trying to ask me something like, I was just trying to put on some deodorant, you know what I'm saying? And someone wanted to have this serious conversation about the things of the Lord. And it's a holy moment. Here's what you need to understand. You have encountered the living God this week. I don't know if you remember, but on Monday we started on a journey and we talked about Peter. Hello, Peter. Oh, man, that was like five. (laughs) Hello, Peter. And and we talked about how Peter was all in because even though the boat was only 100 yards from shore, Peter jumped in to see Jesus because he was all in. And and Monday night, we, we marked this week with our knees on the ground. And we invited the Spirit of God to come and do what only he could do. And lo and behold... He has done that. And we, we've been on this journey and we accepted the invitation and we learned that to truly follow Jesus, we have to leave behind our selfish ways, take up our cross and follow Jesus. We also learned that we truly find our lives when we lose them in Christ, but when we hang on tightly, we lose them forever. We've learned that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We've seen God move in incredible ways this week. Hearts have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Someone got baptized today. Idols have been smashed. People have repented. Chains have been broken. That big brick wall has been busted down. There's still a little section. I think it's going to come down tonight. People have turned their hearts back to the Lord and surrendered. And we killed sin. I mean, we killed sin. We buried it. We celebrated. We gave thanks to God for his indescribable grace and mercy. What love the Father has lavished on us that in the midst of our depravity as wicked, broken, sinful human beings, God saw greatness in us and said, hey, I love you. Come on, child. We're going somewhere new. 
So where does this leave us now? Because this is when the rubber hits the road. What's next? Who am I now that the old me has gone? What if my family doesn't believe? How do I keep killing sin? How do I forgive? How do I live when I get back home? How do I stay connected? What's next? Here's what's next. You'll go home and most likely nothing will have changed. In fact, something could be worse. But the reality is this. You are going home a different person than you came to camp on Monday. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. The old you is dead and gone. It's left. Yeah, get excited. I wasn't expecting this. I should have put insert applause in my notes here. But the old you has gone. This this is the first day of the rest of your life. And I don't know about you, but do you feel better, freer? Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic, all right? And it says this in Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means when you get home tomorrow and things are whack, the same God that you encountered this week at camp, you can encounter tomorrow night in your crib. It's the same God. You, you don't have to be in a camp environment to encounter the living God. It's not like God shows up and he takes vacation all year, except he's like, oh, it's House of Faith camp. I better show up and change some lives. He, he's the same God. He's unchanging. You can bank on that. What if my family doesn't believe? You love them. You love them hard. You pray for them. You speak God's word over them. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says this, Never stop praying. This is the one tool that I think as as a people we we don't use well. It's the one power source that we don't tap into because a lot of times what happens is we kind of freak out and we trip up and we're like, oh man, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. Don't want to say nothing. And look, it's just like having a conversation. If I call Haley, which I call Google, I'm like, hey, Google, I need some help, right? I don't even think about what words I'm saying. I'm just talking to her. And it's the same thing with God. He knows you. He loves you. He sees you. He calls you by name. He sees when you wake up. He saw those of you who were talking and giggling in your beds last night after lights out. I'm just saying. That's who he is. He loves you. So let's take the mystery and the hardness out of prayer. Prayers like this. Hey, God, I'm um, having a really tough time. That person just made me mad, and I really want to knock their block off. Could you help me out? That's prayer. That is literally prayer. You don't have to do hand motions. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to hold your hands a certain way. Prayer is just talking to God, and it's listening to God. And listen, prayer changes things. Let me give you a couple quick testimonies to fuel your, your, your fire a little bit. I don't know if you know this, but I have friends here this week who every night before you came in, they literally prayed over every single chair, which means that you were prayed for, that you would encounter the living God. Prayer changes things. I got a text message tonight from a friend. Her husband's in the military. She said, Tara, please pray. There's a civil war in, in Turkey. Not like gobble gobble, like the nation of Turkey, okay, the other side of the world. And her husband's military, and he was boarding the plane to go to Baghdad. And because there's civil war, they they stopped him because he's an American. And they found his Bible in his bag. So they were refusing to let him on a plane. He was stuck in limbo. All because he was an American and had a Bible in his bag. 
So she texted her, her friends and she said, y'all, I, I need you to pray. So we prayed. I just got a text that said, guess what? Some stranger overheard the conversation. The stranger went up to the security guard, gave the security guard a lump sum of cash, and paid for my husband to get out of there. And now he is on the Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. Let me tell you another one. I used to, I, I like playing the piano, and um, I don't really play, I, I pretend, but I enjoy it. And um, I used to have warts real bad all over my fingers. Like, all, like real bad. Kind of looked like cauliflower. It was really gross, actually. And, and not just on my hands, but on my feet. And it was so bad, people started commenting and noticing. And they'd be like, oh, oh, girl. <laughs> What's going on? You're right. Like, no one want to hold my hand right there. They're like, ah, <laughs> I'm clean. And, and it was so bad. I was so embarrassed about it. I quit playing piano because it bothered me. And I quit wearing sandals on my feet because people would always notice. I didn't have money to go to the doctor. And, and you know, there's a whole duct tape and all that stuff. I, listen, wasn't about it. And one night, this, this co-worker of mine asked me to go to this lady's gathering, and she would not leave me alone. This was in my days of not following Jesus. So I was like, whatever, fine. I'll just go get off my case. Leave me alone, right? So I'm sitting in this church meeting, and I'm higher than a kite, and I'm not really paying attention. I'm just sitting there at this lady's fellowship, which is incredibly awkward. And afterwards, this lady's like, if you need prayer, come forward. Well, I don't know why, but I, I went forward, right? She's like, what do you need prayer for? I was like, I don't know. She's like, okay, well, let's pray. Gets a big old Jesus smile on her face. You know the kind I'm talking about, right? And I'm, I take a step back, and I'm like, oh, man, I should not have done this. And she prayed for me. I don't even remember what she prayed for. But you know what happened? Instantly, all of my warts were gone. If you look at my hands and my feet, there's no sign I ever had warts anywhere. Prayer changes things. Let me tell you another thing. Okay? It doesn't matter if you don't know how to pray, but I'm telling you, you have an obligation to pray. It's your untapped into power source that you have got to figure out how to tap into. Several years ago, I met this little girl in Haiti. Her name's Roberta. She was a, a child slave. She's an orphan. She's the only child. Her parents died. I'm trying to give you the Reader's Digest. She's an only child. Her parents died when she was young. She was sent to live with an uncle in exchange for going to school and going to food. But the reality is she was abused sexually abused, not allowed to go to school, not given any food to eat, and was given um, work, like really hard work, not like cush American jobs, like really hard work, like stand on a street corner and sell things for 16 hours. And, and finally, um, she, she got to go to this orphanage, and I fell in love with her. I, I can't explain it. I don't have time to go into it. But I fell in love with her. And, and Kevin was on that trip with me, actually. And I don't know if he remembers this, but I bawled like a baby when we left. Like, I almost didn't come back. I was like, maybe I'm supposed to move to Haiti. I don't know. So anyway, I fast forward like two or three years, and the missionary emails me and says, Tara, I'm so sorry. Someone's taken Roberta out of the orphanage. You'll never see her again. Oh, man, my heart was ripped out. For three days, I bawled like a baby. So I did the only thing I knew to do, and I prayed. You know what God said? Tara, go find her. I'm like, time out, sir. It's house of faith. <laughs> it's house of faith. It's Christmas party season. Ain't no one got time for this. I don't speak Creole. I don't have time. I don't have money. And the more I prayed, the more the message became clearer. Tara, go find her. 
So long story short, I went and I spent Christmas and New Year's in Haiti with a friend. And um, we, go, we go to the village and we find her and we wait forever. I'm skipping a lot of details. But we, we take her back to the orphanage and, and that night we, we pull back in and all the kids, all the orphans are like, Roberta, Roberta, just, just chanting, man. Felt like we won some championship, you know? And so the next morning, I, I wanted to talk to her because there's a language barrier and I had a translator. And I wanted Roberta to understand how much she, that God loved her, that he would do that. Because in Haiti, there's thousands of missing children. There's no Amber Alert, no faces on the side of milk jugs, okay? It's just the way of life and reality for, for the nation of Haiti. And I'll never forget what Roberta told me. Because she said that for one week, three times a day, Roberta prayed that God would send me to find her. Prayer changes things, friends. You have to into it. So what do you do when your family doesn't believe? First Thessalonians 5.17 says this, never stop praying. That means you say this every day. God, I'm asking for salvation for my mom. God, I'm asking that you would save my dad. God, I'm asking that you would save my, my brothers, my sisters, my aunts, my uncles. God, uh, would you be kind to them? Would you help them? God, would you bless them? Father, would you teach me how to love them? It's as simple as that. Just that simple. How do I keep killing sin? Romans 8 says this. I'm wound up. I'm sorry. I'm excited. And I'm out of oxygen. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. means you're an enemy to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you want to please God, get out of your flesh. It means quit sinning. Quit putting yourself in compromising situations. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You catching the theme? Thank you. That was impressive. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You keep moving forward. You keep killing sin. If your girlfriend is a distraction, break up, men. Rise up and be men of God. Ladies, if your boyfriend is a distraction or, or things aren't, are, are being real silly, uh, you need to break up. That's how you kill sin. 
That's how you kill sin. Matthew 26, 41 says this, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Huh, there's the P word, pray. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Ever been faced with sin? And I'm like, wah, wah, I have no way out. Guess I'll cave, right? No, there's always a way out. And I'm like, oh, don't see a way out. Don't see a way out. I'm going to go sin, right? <laughs> Man, I'm fooling myself. And I know I'm not the only one in here like that. There's always a way out. You find someone to help you, an accountability partner. Men, it needs to be another man. Ladies, it needs to be another lady. An accountability partner is someone that you trust and respect, someone that you can be honest with, someone that's going to ask you the hard questions. Hey, how are you doing? At at camp, I know you said you were giving this up. How's that going? And if you can't be honest, then then that's not going to be a working thing. Okay? Men, you need to have an accountability partner, someone that's going to ask you the hard questions. What are you looking at on your phones and your computers? What kind of music are you listening to? What, what are your boundaries with your girlfriends? What, what are you doing late at night? You need to have an accountability partner. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Find someone to walk with. Find someone to help you. How do I forgive I've heard this question a lot today. How do I forgive? Listen, forgiveness is a process. It's not, most of the time, it's not a one-time deal. Most of the time, it's not like, God, I forgive my parents for for being whack. Would you bless them? It's a process. Because even with my parents, I I have to really guard my heart. I got some text messages at lunch that really upset me today. And and I had to search my heart and put that before the Lord and, and say, God, give me grace for this. Help me to be honoring to my family. Help me to be loving to my family. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, a.k.a. sin, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ouch. Pretty plain and simple. Acts three nineteen. says this repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that means to stop and turn and go the other way Psalm 103 12 says this as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us? God ain't keeping no track record of your sin, but what do we do? We keep track of everyone else's wrongdoing, right? Oh, you get a mark. You were ugly to me today. Oh, check mark for you. You flipped me off, right? Don't we do that to each other, though, for real? I mean, we do it to our best friends. We, we do it to our cousins. We do it to the world, right? But God is saying, look, 
I, I, I don't even remember your son, sins. As far as the east is from the west, which you can't really measure that, because at what point does the east begin and west begin? I don't know. God has removed our sins from us. So why are we keeping track of other people's sins? How do you forgive people? You be quick to forgive again and again as many times as it takes. Mark 11.25 says this. And whenever you stand praying, ah, there's the P word again. I didn't even connect the dots, it's, I'm just saying. And whenever you stand praying, hey God, what's up? <laughs> Having a hard time. Forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Forgiveness is a process, it's not a one time deal. Um, sometimes my heart gets really hard towards others. Um, and, and towards my family, and I don't want to forgive people, just being honest. And um, I, I can read scripture, and it still doesn't help me. So here's one thing that I like to do for me that's helped me. I watch The Passion of Jesus Christ, the movie. I'm a visual person. I'm a visual learner. And um, when I put people's offenses or wrongdoings towards me in light of Jesus on the cross, it changes everything. I, I mean, it really just breaks me down, strips me down. I might go snap, okay? God, I'm so sorry. And, and so that's how I work through that. Um, so how do you forgive? You keep forgiving again and again and again, no matter how many times it takes. You have an obligation to forgive because your Father in Heaven has forgiven you. Aren't you thankful for a God who took that casket of crap last night and forgave it? That's how we should be for each other, okay? How do I stay connected? Because you're going to go home and Saturday morning you are not going to wake up to the good morning song and everyone said? Amen. <laughs> that was fantastic. Um, you can't live at camp forever, right? And, and we're not going to do energizers and guy girl challenge. You might do a guy girl challenge with your brothers. I don't know. But how do you... How do you take this camp experience home is what we're asking. How do you live it out when you get home and you don't have camp surroundings? You have to stay connected. This is what John 15 says. Um, actually, I'm going to paraphrase. Jesus is talking. He says, I'm divine. You are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. At House of Faith, we call this abide. Um, and it's this concept, this idea of staying connected to Jesus because apart from Jesus Christ, you can do nothing, and you are nothing. And so you've got to figure out a way for you to get connected, okay? Um, you cling. You hold very tightly to Jesus. You get rid of whatever distracts you from him. You smash idols in your life. Um, you abide with him. Um, that means staying connected through prayer. Ah, there's a P word again. Worship and reading the word. And, and listen. You don't have to like go home and like be like, oh my gosh, i got to spend six hours reading the Bible and I'm going to fall asleep, right? I have fallen asleep so many times praying. I think it's the best way to fall asleep. And God's not tripping. He's not mad. He knows you're tired. Okay? Start small. With reading your Bible, just do one chapter a day. If you don't know where to start, start in Psalms. It's all about how big and awesome God is and, and how much we should pray. Praise Him. Uh, prayer. Start small. Just start with five minutes a day. Just begin each day with prayer. Hey, God, what are you doing today? What, what do you want to do in my life today, God? How's your day going, God? Same thing with worship. Um, 
Maybe listening to, to Jesus music instead of Kixie would be a great place to start. Because you may, you may say, well, that music doesn't affect me, or I'm not listening to the words, but it does. Because the truth is this. Every decision you make will either bring you one step closer to Jesus or one step away from Jesus, and that includes music. It's very powerful. So start listening to Jesus music. Start listening to worship music. Start worshiping God on your own. That's how you stay connected. How do I live when I get back home? You run your race. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. In high school, I have a twin sister. I told you guys that. She's the size of my left leg. She's fantastic. And um, we, I, I played basketball. In junior high, I dislocated my hips. I couldn't walk for two years. And um, so we didn't play sports in high school. I started working a job when I was 15. So it was our senior year of high school, and we decided to do track and field, right? Well, I was a thrower, so uh, my job was just to throw heavy things as far as I could, which I was terrible at it. Terrible. I mean, really bad. The discus, I only made it to the first line one time in practice. Not even at a meet. So, whatever. So, my sister, she ran the two mile, which is eight times around the track. And I learned early on, because we went to a really, really small school out in Pig Farms, and there were never three people that ran the two miles. So I was like, hmm. Because I really wanted a ribbon. I, I just wanted to place one time in something just so I could have a ribbon, right? And so... I told my coach one day, I was like, hey, coach, I want to run the two-mile. She was like, yeah, okay, Davis. And I was being partially serious, but I was partially joking, right? So for practice as a thrower, we're supposed to go lift weights, then we're supposed to run out to the field to throw, right? Well, we lifted weights, and we walked out to the field very leisurely. Unless we saw coach, then we would start running. So I'm at lunch one day, killing a Twinkie and Mountain Dew, real terrible, and um, my coach comes up to me. She's like, yo, Davis. So what's up, coach? She goes, you're running a two-mile tonight. And I'm like, ah, good one. You got jokes. She's like, no, for real. I signed you up. You have to do it. And I'm like, right, done, 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 right? Like, ultimate death to selfie. I'm going to die tonight at a track meet. And that little outfit I was wearing this morning was very similar to my track outfit. About two sizes too small. And if you think I'm white now, you should have seen me in high school when I lived in Indiana and there was no sun for four months. I, that was a little too strong of a reaction. But we'll go with it. So we line up and um, it's me and my sister and the other runners and the guy's holding the gun and I'm literally thinking, God, please let him misfire and hit me. I couldn't do this. And then he goes, pop, and we start running. And mine was more like a, a shuffle, maybe a, a truffle shuffle. Now, in my mind, I look awesome. Like, I'm just running, right? And I'm like, my muscles are just being, are, are like flying through this, this thing. But it really um, was quite bad. It was so bad, in fact. Here's what happened. I'm, I'm shuffling, and... My sister passes me. She laps me. And every time, this is what she says. 
Great job, sis. I'm so proud of you. Keep going. You can do it. You've got it. Right? I mean, she just spits all that out, no problem. And I'm shuffling, and here's my response. <laughs> like, I think I'm literally going to die on, the, on this stupid track. And I'm so mad at myself, and I just want to quit. And so my sister keeps laughing me, and she keeps encouraging me. And it's so bad, she finishes the race, the poor thing. And she starts running back and forth across the field to cheer me on. And um, it was my, my coach sat down on the bench and read a newspaper. And that's when I was like, okay, this is, this is really, this is, this is too far. This is really too far. And I'm trying to think of some plan of escape, and, and there's really no escape. I'm like, just keep running, just keep shuffling. And my legs are cramping, and I feel like throwing up, and I'm regretting every Twinkie and Mountain Dew I've ever... I'm not a runner. I've never been a runner. And, and the sun begins to set while I'm running. It's that bad. And so I get to the last stretch, and I do an all-out sprint because I am just done. I'm done. And some of the people in the stands, they stand up, and they start clapping, and I just feel real dumb, and I finish, and I throw up, and then we have to go shopping afterwards, you know, in a track uniform, whatever. But I got third place. Now, I got third place because I was one of three runners. But I got third place. So my time was 25 minutes and 51 seconds, but I got third place. <laughs> I lost him on that one. You have to run your race. Walking with God is a lot like running a race. It says this, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Don't forget last night. Don't forget the casket. Don't forget the way the shovels of dirt sounded when it hit the wooden box. Don't forget what you've encountered this week and what God has spoken to you. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those who God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. How do you live when you go home? You run your race. I don't care how tired you get. I don't care how sore you get. I don't care how discouraged you get. I don't even care if you fall and you slip up. And you participate in sin that you put in that casket. 
because it's probably going to happen. You get your turkey tail right back up and you keep running. In Hebrews it says this, throw off the sin that so easily entangles and run the race set out before you. It says that there's a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. All the saints in heaven, they watch. The greats, Peter, David, Moses, Paul, Abraham. And they're like, you can do it, keep going, keep running. You have to run your race. You have to run your race. And last, who am I? Now that the old me has gone and the new me is here, who am I? I'll tell you who you are. It's very clear in God's word who you are. You are a warrior in God's kingdom. You are a child of the one true king. Ladies, you are princesses in God's eyes. You are royalty. Men, you are princes in God's eyes. You are winners. You are overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You are champions. You are victorious. You are people... You are students who walk with God. You are students who walk in integrity. You are are humans full of courage and strength. You are history makers and world changers. You are so much more than you realize. You are forgiven. You are chosen. You are deeply loved. You have an incredible destiny in Jesus Christ. He has an incredible plan for your life. You were bought with a high price. You have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You are... A new creation. You have everything you need to pursue and follow Jesus all the days of your life. You don't need house of faith. You don't need camp. You don't need your counselor. You don't need two knock, two knock. You don't need two-minute shower time. Some of you need 22-minute shower times. But you have everything you need to follow Jesus all the days of your life. But it's up to you how you will live. Some of you have felt defeated because you've lost battles. Is that true of anyone? Anyone ever felt defeated? Listen, you were created to wage war and we win Every single time with Jesus. That is in your DNA. That is who you are. Tonight, we want to set you apart. I believe that God is raising up a generation of warriors, of world changers, and history makers for His kingdom. These are dark days that we live in. The racial tension, the evil in the world, ISIS, you name it. The sin that's so rampant in our nation. We are a nation that has truly turned our backs on God. And God is searching the whole earth and looking for a remnant, looking for a people who love Him more than they love themselves. Because Jesus is asking the same question tonight that He asked Monday night, and He'll ask it to you on Saturday when you're home alone, struggling. And here's the question. Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? God is raising you up. I'm going to close with a story. There was a Scottish noble named Robert the Bruce. The story goes that he died in 1329 at the age of 54. But shortly before his death, Robert the Bruce requested that his heart be removed from his body and taken on crusade by a worthy knight. 
one of his closest friends, James Douglas, was at his bedside and accepted the responsibility. So the heart of Robert the Bruce was embalmed and placed in a small container that Douglas carried around his neck. Kind of gross, kind of epic. I don't know. I love it. In every battle that Douglas fought, he literally carried the heart of his king pressed against his chest. In the early spring of 1330, Douglas sailed from Scotland to Grenada, Spain, and engaged in a campaign against the Moors. In an ill-fated battle, Douglas found himself surrounded, and in this situation, death was both certain and imminent. In that moment, Douglas reached for the heart strapped around his neck. He flung the heart into the enemy's midst, and he cried out, Fight for the heart of your king. Tonight, I charge you with this. Fight for the heart of your king, King Jesus. You have to run your race and fight for the heart of your king. <laughs>